and welcome to Alien Minute, the daily podcast where we are analyzing aliens in short, controlled bursts. I'm John Engel. And I'm Jason Heck. And today, Minute 40 is what we're tackling. And that begins with Hicks warily looking around and ends with Ripley saying, wait. And it is Friday, our last day with cartoonist Chris Eliopoulos. Thanks for joining us for the week, Chris. I had to. Got to finish this out. It's our last day with Chris? It is. It's Friday. Who's happier, you or me? Oh, no, you are. Clearly, I, I, I really enjoyed having you. It's been a great week. I'm hoping. Uh, I'm bored your audience too much. Uh, John, who's, who do we have to, to try and step into this guest chair after Chris leaves? I have no idea. Oh, I heard DeForest Kelly, but then uh, I heard he was dead. Aw. Yeah, if it, we D. could get D. Kelly on here, it would have been a, a huge boost. But, yeah, he died 18 years ago, so... Oh, that was yeah. that was that was a rumor. Okay, okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, we've got minute forty, and now in minute forty, as our Marines venture deeper into the complex, we're seeing a little bit more suspense. We're seeing the age-old suspense trick of let's split up, um, and we're seeing that um, that there's more damage in the quarters. That the Marines again, um, there's a sense of. Oh, not nervousness. They're combat-hardened Marines, but there's some tension, certainly. And uh, we're noticing more and more damage that seems more and more exotic compared to uh, what you'd expect in a normal firefight. Well, I just wanted to point out right away here that we're still in Hicks. We've cut right at the Hicks moment where he realizes that he's not getting a goddamn thing on the tracker. And I want to point out that Michael Bean, he seems really bugged out here, right? Like, the performance here is... Not usual for the unflappable Hicks we've seen so far. He's kind of cool and collected to, uh, from what we've seen. He seems a li- pretty weirded out by this fact, right? Don't you guys think that he's putting on a little bit extra performance here? Well, I would say, yeah, c- compared to the guy who was napping during an express elevator to hell, I would say, yeah, he's he's clearly a little bit bugged out. He's uh, expecting, obviously, I think most of the Marines were expecting to see someone to, you know, okay, something horrible might have happened. There might have been an explosion or something, but there would be survivors. And the fact that they apparently are alone on the entire planet, yeah, I think he's showing some some probably understandable nerves. Yeah, he's, and I, I think that's what it is. It's trying to show the, the, the change from the guy that's not rattled by anything is now getting rattled by the fact that there's not even a person walking around. What does that mean? You know, like, did they wipe out the whole colony? In a comic, I think we would see maybe a question mark above his head, yeah. and we would, might might see some little some little squirtles shooting out that indicate surprise and shock above his head. I think it's important that they're specifically that Cameron specifically chose Hicks to be the person here because I think when the most unflappable character gets nervous is when the is, is when he's really telling the audience, okay, maybe you should get nervous too. That's what I always feel when I'm watching a movie, and it's not Lambert, you know, the Lambert or the Hudson. That's freaked out by this. You know what I mean? It's the it's it's the Hicks. And it's like, oh, God, if Hicks is a little weirded out by this, then I should probably be really weirded out by this. So it's not something that you really think about when you're watching the movie. But but you dial into it. Right. Yeah. And, and you realize, oh, well, yeah, that's a, it's just part of the ride that you're on. It's part of the, one of the little points in the story where he's kind of leading you through characterization into a sense of, of dread. So, yeah, that's what we're getting here. So we're going to get. That's going to lead us into what I think, you know, like Jason, you mentioned that we're getting the splitting up the team little trope here. And we're going to get some more images that I think lend to this sense of dread. 
coming up. Yeah, each team, you know, they have a smart gunner. Each team has has heavy duty firepower kind of leading the way. And I think each team is probably what four or maybe six Marines. Poss- no, five, maybe two. Two teams of two plus a plus a guy with a tracker. Um, so it, again, you know, they have all this firepower, but you kind of start realizing how few of them there are when they start doing this. Once they, you know, when half of your force is is basically five or six fighting people, you start realizing that that if you are indeed alone on this planet, um, that's a pretty scary prospect because you shouldn't be. There should be two other human beings just like you who are there to welcome you with open arms and, oh boy, we're glad to see you. And mm-hmm. instead, what you've got is abandoned coffee, donuts, rain pouring through giant rents in the uh, in, in the steel shutters. We've got damage and, and collapsed ceilings and flashing lights. So things are... Things are definitely to the point where I think anybody would be weirded out. But you're right. By keying on the most unflappable of the Marines, the, the corporal who was so... I mean, he he listened to Ripley. He was pretty respectful and said, what exactly are we dealing with here? He wanted to know. But he was also pretty casual during the briefing. And he napped on the way down. So he's been a pretty cool cool customer. And, and suddenly he's he's not. And there seems... If, if, if he's not, then why not? And Cameron's asking it, making making us wonder the same question. Plus, they're, now they're heading into like living quarters as opposed to just these main structural quarters. So, like they're now it's starting to get down and personal. Now they're going to the tight spaces, and you know this clicking is still going on, and they're starting to get more claustrophobic as they get into these little rooms. So it's adding to more of the tension, and then they're seeing spots where people were actually in the middle of something having a cup of coffee or a donut and even hicks looks at the end of this minute looks at that donut like what the hell Mm. like like he ate half a donut nobody leaves a donut ever yeah you should be banished to the you know seventh gate of hell for not eating that full donut Uh, and it does look good too it looks like a fried one it looks like a fried donut i don't agree about this donut i think that (laughs) that's a boring cake donut jason i don't i don't know that's going to get talk about should not be left behind. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, I want to yeah, thank no you right. folks for joining us on minute 40 of the alien minute. And, uh, we've really, uh, this donut debate needs to happen off microphone. Obviously, <laughs> I don't want well, anybody to hear it's what's important. He's looking at the donut. I'm, no, I'm sorry. I wanted to talk about the donut more though. And we've got, <laughs> apparently Waylon Utani is, is so cheap that they're still using styrofoam and only providing yeah. boring cake donuts. I, I wanted to just point that out about Waylon Utani. What's styrofoam? There's little styrofoam cups all over the place. Yeah. Uh, yeah, coffee cups, that's right. Yeah, because there's the nice. I was thinking of the nice coffee cup with the handle that that the rain's dripping in. But yeah, I forgot. Yeah, uh, yeah. And then, and isn't it in the uh, in the little uh, the director's cut that the guy who talks at the colony he's he's drinking coffee out of a out of a styrofoam cup and he talks about sending the wildcatters out to investigate. Yeah, they're using they're still using styrofoam. In the future, it's really sad. Well, I guess that's we, why they're having to terraform other planets. I or, guess. you know, to paraphrase Rob Lowe, thank God we invented the whatever. I'm sure that there's some sort of styrofoam purifying technology that's been invented. And I, right. I right. so I'm it just repurposes saying. the whole thing. Right. Plus, we don't know if it's styrofoam. It could look like imitation styrofoam that's actually edible. Right. Could be edible. I was thinking the same thing. Could you eat the cup when you're done? It could be even be better than the, could be even be better than the donut for all we know. They made edible styrofoam like office room, right? Doesn't it look like a, you know, like something you'd see in the seventies or eighties office? Oh yeah, oh. for sure. And, and it, you're... it looks like Barney Miller's office space a little bit there. <laughs> <laughs> File cabinets. I think Chris is right though. When we think about the Marines, they're moving into tighter quarters, and when you're moving into those tight quarters, 
those smart guns start to be more detrimental than, you know, that's not exactly a close quarters weapon. So if I were, you know, if you were Drake, you'd probably want to check that smart gun and, and borrow Hicks's shotgun. Um, well, which we'll find out later or something. But yeah, the smart gunners, you're right. Watching them maneuver those things around corners and over furniture. That's not what I'd want for close quarters fighting. And so you're, you're right. There's a, a much more claustrophobic vibe than the wide open quarters where you can see something coming at you from, you know, 10, 15, 30 feet away. Right. And Drake, uh, what's his name? Mark, Mark Rolston. Mm-hmm. At the time, he was great. It just now nowadays, I can't get past him and Shawshank. Like I just, he creeps me out to no end. Oh, um, uh, was he? Was, what he's one of the sisters in Shawshank? Yeah, he's like the one that like rapes Dufresne, yeah. and, yeah. and so. But he was just really creepy and and vile in that movie. And now I see him, you know. And it's only after that, like now he. I mean, he looks like a marine. He looks like he's the guy doing right. his job. But I just get creeped out by his performance in that movie. I mean, he was on Star Trek Next Generation and, you know, different character, but I just, for some reason, this throws me off. It's, yeah, it's tough to, when you, when you see somebody who, who inhabits something and, and it's really distasteful, it's kind of, it can be a little tough to, to remove them from it and have them just be somebody. Like, I remember the movie I saw him in after this was, he was Lethal Weapon 2. He was the guy at the beginning in the M6 with a trunk full of Krugerrands that, uh, that, that Riggs is chasing in, in Murtaugh's like station wagon, his wife's wagon. And, uh, I was like, Oh, that's, that's the guy from aliens. And, and I, now when I, when I look him up, he's had an amazing career kind of on the periphery of, of, you know, the epitome of the working actor, but it was cool that he got a role like this, that he got to put a bit of a stamp on. I, John, didn't Cameron kind of let everybody customize their own armor and weapons and stuff. Didn't you know the actors do it? Yeah. I was going to let, uh, I was going to talk a little bit about that in this minute because we get some from Hudson, but yeah, he did. He wanted everybody to personalize their own equipment, kind of build their own character um, that way visually. So yeah. And you get um, Drake has my bitch on the side of his uh, gun there. Um, and he's got really, like, a, like a scalp or something on the muzzle, right? Like a braid of hair or something. Yeah. hanging he's, from got the those, muzzle? he's got all that stuff hanging all over the place. Like yeah. earlier during the briefing, he has it hanging out of his like baseball cap. He has it hanging around his neck. Uh, yeah, we've talked a little bit about those braids and things, but yeah, sort of a proto Johnny Depp with his with his leather bracelets and whatnot, right? <laughs> and a scarf or two that would make him truly Deppian. I, I I think you're right. You know, looking at this minute as you know, I watched kind of the five minutes for this week. I watched them probably six or seven times, and just looking at the smart guns in those corridors, and it's like couldn't choose a worse weapon for close quarters fighting short of a musket. So I would, you know, as much as, as it's great to have those guys out front, your two tanks kind of leading the way, man, they don't look happy. You know, that's why I guess you keep getting Drake saying, talk to me, Frosty. And, and, you know, later he, he really is, he, he wants that data from the motion tracker because, you know, he needs time to prepare that monster if he's going to have to shoot something. Do you think this is kind of a, a bit of a flaw in the procedure as far as the, the filmmaking is concerned? Do you think that they should have thought that through? If you're noticing this, I mean, I haven't really thought about it before, but you're right. It would make no sense to send in those big guns first into these small spaces. So is this just something that didn't quite get thought through well enough? Or do you think this is an indication that the Marines don't think this through enough or that they aren't used to could situations be. like that could be could be cameron you know saying look that you know that the the all the big firepower doesn't work in every situation 
You know, it's like we had the M60 machine gun in Vietnam and the, and the soldiers called it the pig because it was always jamming. You know, when we brought the M16 into Vietnam, it, you know, it was so easy to foul with dirt and stuff that uh, it was, it was, it turned out to be just, it was a great gun, just not for Vietnam. So the smart guns at some point will come into their own, but for, for, you know, room to room fighting and clearing and close quarter stuff certainly doesn't seem like the ideal weapon. And maybe I, I would put that down to Cameron probably making a choice um, to deliberately do that because everything else in the movie is so meticulous. I don't think he would have dropped the ball. So I think what you have is a lot of firepower for almost any situation except this one. And that's something that he chose to include, you know, and maybe for, for just dorks like me to, to say, oh, wow, that doesn't look like it's a great idea at all. Um, you know, if you have to, if you have to blow away an entire office worth of people, then a smart gun's a great choice. But if you're, you know, trying to search every broom closet and nook and cranny for somebody, probably not a great choice. Yeah, maybe it's the choice of, you know, shoot first, ask questions later type of mentality, which is just get in there and who cares what, what you find, blow it away so you don't get killed yourself. Could be, could be, because, I mean, yeah, the Marines are certainly there. We know that they are in it for one another. We know that they're in it for, for um, for you know, for the guy next to you in the, in the next foxhole. We know that there's a lot of loyalty there and staying and keeping one another alive is a big deal. Certainly, it's it's more important to some people. Uh, you know, Vasquez has perhaps more loyalty than, than, say, Hudson or is unwilling to let fear overrule her loyalty, as Hudson would. But, um, yeah, I, I think that the, the vibe on the Marines is is we can kill anything we have to um and and and, you know sending your your two smart gunners prowling through office corridors um is you know they're not they're not there to to say hey are you okay they're there to blow away whatever comes around the corner yeah we we actually get a direct quote really um speaking to that chris the the shoot first ask questions later vasquez basically says that to ripley in the briefing like she doesn't want to hear the nuances of what they're going after. Like she just wants to know where she can point her gun. So, yeah, I think that that's definitely the mentality we're dealing with here. I mean, they, I mean, they are a bit movable. I mean, obviously with those those arms, they can move the guns around fairly simply based on their size. But yeah, I think I think it's more of more of protection. Like he's, you know, Vasquez and Drake are going to lead the way and keep everybody safe. Yeah, they're they're gonna blow away whatever comes toward their toward their squad mates and their friends. Well, that's that's all I have for this one. Well, there was a couple of details I wanted to point out. First, before that's all I, I have for this one. <laughs> okay, that's good. So, it's all so It's gonna grab forty winks here. No, 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 please. I'm sorry. So right before, as Apone uh, directs everyone to split up, we get actually get a glimpse of a different sort of take on the semiotic standard in the in the corridor. Ah. Right at the uh, junctures, there we see some indicators of different zones of the facility. They look a lot different. They're in black and white, not color. They're not square. They're octagonal. And the only one I can really make out is ladder way. So you get the idea there's a ladder way that we saw so much in the Nostromo. Because everything was a ladder way and then the Stromo pretty much. How reminiscent is it of Ron Cobb's stuff? It's not really. It's real. It's much more minimalist even than his stuff. It's without color can, entirely. And like I said, instead of that kind of ra- the rounded edges, the square with the rounded edges, um, with the rounded corners, I should say, it has it's octagonal. So it's just an updated version, but it's still you know a callback, another like wrinkle on a callback to Alien. 
Um, and we also get our first glimpse. I'm sorry, did you have something to say about it? Oh, I was just thinking 60 years after, you know, it, it makes sense. Like the U.S. Army and the Navy have probably changed their signage and stuff in 60 years. So it sort of makes sense that, that we would in the future, too. Yeah. Um, we also get, right at the end of the minute, we get a glimpse at Hudson's uh, uniform graffiti, his body armor graffiti. So we've been trying to point those out as we've gone along. And we get a little bit of Hudson's. I know there's more to it, but all we really see in um, on this one is he has a classic skull and crossbones on his breastplate with a knife stuck in the top of the head. And it just, with a little ribbon below, it just says glory. So just wanted to point out those little details. Uplifting message. A huge so far, fan of the 1989 Edwards Wick movie. No? Oh, I think I think he definitely was. <laughs> no, he's and that speaks to Hudson, right? We know that Hudson is a guy who is all about self-aggrandizement, who is all about macho posturing. So, you know, what what's he going to have on his except something that is, you know, chest thumping and just drenched in in Axe body spray and machismo. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Do they still have yes. like body spray in the future? In the future, yes. It's something about lasers and stuff. But yes, it's 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 there. It does raise the question, though, This uh, that if Bill Paxton placed that on his, you know, if he drew that himself, he, if it was entirely his decision to put that on there, is it that Bill Paxton was so clued into his own character that he knew exactly what to draw on there? Or is it that his character is so much Bill Paxton that it made sense that that would be exactly what he would put on there. I'm not sure which comes first in this situation. Well, he's played sensitive, so we know that he's not a complete asshole. Uh, although, and you know, at, at that point in his career, we had you know the punk who got pistoned in Terminator. We had uh, Chet from Weird Science. So maybe he was sort of knee deep in the kind of dickhead testosterone phase of his of his career slash life um, that that he felt that. But I'd like to think that. And, you know, you, they, they, I can't imagine that they wouldn't have gotten guidance from Cameron, who, you know, if he had such tight control over every aspect of his movie, you can't believe that he would have just defaulted to letting his own his actors kind of find their own path into the character. This script was his baby. So he would have said, hey, here's what you need to know about Hudson. Here's here's a paragraph that describes what he is. Now decorate your uniform. See, I don't know. I, if you read the script, I, I don't know if you get the character as much as you get in the movie. I, I don't know if it was there yet. So I, I, and he definitely did let them do this on their own to the point that, uh, that Rico Ross didn't even spell his, I mean, he had the heart with the arrow through it that says Heath on it when it was supposed to say Heather, he even lobbed that, <laughs> mistake, that mistake to get through. So Cameron, he apparently loosened his grip a little bit. I think he's more interested in other things on the set anyway. Than Maybe Rico Ross stuff, loves you know. the rich buttery taste of the toffee bar. Well, that, we discussed that. Yeah, sure. that's one possibility. There's many possibilities here. So I know. I do. Anyone out there? If anyone out there has any more ideas of who Heath or who or what Heath might have been, or will be, right, or any on our Facebook page, any any kind of vague sort of um, kind of unknown candy bar, your Fifth Avenue, your Zero, um, your Zagnut. Any comments on those would also be welcome. <laughs> All right, I think on that note, we should just call it quits for the week. What do you guys think? Your marathon bar, your your slow pokes, your, your black cow, Charleston Chew, any of those kind of more obscure candy bars. I, I'd love to hear about that. Your O. Henry, I would love to hear about that. Not Bit of Honey. Um, kind of everybody knows what those Please. are. Please. 
Uh, Nobody any, wants to hear about Bitto Honey. Uh, okay, audience, prove him wrong. I would love to hear about Bitto Honey. So I, I, that's it really on, on today's uh, discussion here on Candy Corner. But um, I want to watch him call it right now. Oh, man, doesn't that sound good? Oh, I love what you call it. I think we all agree on what you call it. So think, that's a good yeah, way to end. Except it can hurt the roof of your mouth. It can hurt the roof of your mouth if, because that's, it can be really hard. That's part of the. You, I like foods that hurt the roof of my mouth. That's part of the pleasure. That's why you eat like Cheetos and stuff. You know, just stuff that cuts right into the roof of your mouth. Yeah, buffalo, Folks, wing, so, buffalo wings, yeah. right? The best food on the planet, and it causes you pain. So we'll be yeah. analyzing the John Engel pained palate fetish on our next minute, minute forty-one, which begins with John Engel saying "mmm, good," and ends with John Engel spitting blood. <laughs> <laughs> Tune in for that next week, folks. <laughs> if I All can't right, well. you with that. <laughs> so we've established that Jason is not on the internet, and we've established that you just need to Google Chris's name. So we'll just yeah. skip all that. And uh, you can find us at alienminute.com, where you will find a virtual tip jar. That'd be nice if you'd drop a couple of bucks in there if you feel so inclined. Uh, you can also find us on Instagram at Alien Minute Podcast, on Twitter at Alien Minute Pod. You can also find us at moviesbyminutes.com, which is the location for the 10,000 Movies by Minute podcasts that are out there. Go there and find one of your uh, favorite movies that's being covered minute by minute, including Star Wars, which has been covered by the guys at Star Wars Minute, Pete and Alex. like to thank them again at the end of the week for uh, loaning us their format. There are really that many Movies by Minute? Uh, 10,000, yes. That's not an exaggeration. So it could be like somebody doing like Running Scared Minute. Some, I'm sure somebody's doing running scared. An entire minute on that Cubs jersey that Billy Crystal's wearing. Oh my God! I believe I believe it was a Leon Durham. I'm just going oh. to oh throw my that God. detail out there. So there could be like a no way out minute. <laughs> Absolutely, why not? Or a it's lethal gonna happen. Lethal weapon four minute. Well, if somebody does lethal weapon minute, they're going to have to get oh. the lethal weapon four minute, I guess. Wow. Well, folks, I, just from 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 just a, a tip from Jason, just wear your waiters when you go through that movies by minute section because it sounds like there's a lot of muck. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> well, that's all I'm, saying. I'm. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying everyone is entitled to talk about. Oh yeah. Well, why don't we let Chris? Why don't we let Chris be the judge? Oh yeah. Mm. He's he's not gonna do it. I, yeah. Look, I love them all. I don't care. <laughs> and and his books can be found on Amazon, folks. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that's going to do it for this week. We'll see you next week for minute number 41.